If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. The sermon this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, 7 through 9, 12 through 20. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses the Lord's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of God upon you so that you do not sin. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. If you had been responsible for preaching this week, you would have found that many of the most recent commentaries on this particular passage in Scripture tell the story of Judge Roy Moore, the now-removed Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, who waged and lost a stubborn fight to keep a Ten Commandments monument in his courthouse. He lugged the 5,280-pound monstrosity around on, from one public appearance to the next. That's just over 500 pounds per commandment, if you do the math. But 
If you are from Oklahoma, the Roy Moore saga is, to be blunt, small potatoes. Roy Moore has nothing on the Oklahoma State Legislature when it comes to being obsessed with getting the Ten Commandments displayed in public. In 2009, a then state legislator got permission to pay for a six-foot-tall piece of rose granite inscribed with the Ten Commandments to be placed on the grounds of the Capitol, which deed indeed did happen in 2012. Lawsuits ensued. In June of 2015, the state Supreme Court ruled that the religious display on public property violated the Oklahoma Constitution. At the time, angry lawmakers threatened to impeach the Supreme Court justices. While that may sound extreme, other legislators yelled, hold my beer and filed a bill that would allow a public vote to remove the section of the Oklahoma Constitution that disallowed the monument. Voters would resoundingly defeat that plan to amend the Constitution, and earlier in that year, workers removed the Ten Commandments and placed it on the property of a private conservative think tank. But the most pious of legislators were still not deterred. In 2018, instead of addressing the ongoing education, infrastructure, and healthcare crises, the legislature passed a measure that classified the Ten Commandments, along with the Magna Carta, Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, as historical documents that should be displayed proudly and resolutely in public buildings and on public lands. Now, I don't want to jinx anything, but at this point, there haven't been any requests for the monument to be returned to the Capitol. So it's still on the property of that think tank. It's ironic, really, that some Christians are so weirdly obsessed with public displays of the Ten Commandments. I mean, weird is the nicest word I can come up with anyway. After all, we are borrowing the Ten Commandments from the tradition from whence we came. And the tradition from whence we came, Judaism, isn't at all obsessed, weirdly or not, with having the Ten Commandments displayed in public. In fact, the originals were put away, hidden from view. I mean, that's not exactly true. Moses broke the originals. You remember the story. Tradition says that God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets and gave them to Moses, who, carrying them all the way down the mountain, came to discover that the Israelites had made for themselves a golden calf. And as the text tells us, as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So God made a second set of stone tablets and the Israelites put them in a box. It was a beautiful box, of course, a wooden box overlaid with gold, with gold cherubim above the box facing each other. 
but a box nonetheless. And everywhere that Israel went, they carried these tablets, but they weren't on public display. The Israelites did not strap the tablets onto a flatbed truck as a traveling billboard as they wandered in the wilderness or when they finally made it into Canaan. So honestly, I don't know where Christians get the idea that public display of the Ten Commandments is a test of faithfulness. I mean, unless you're trying to turn America into a white Christian theocracy and make an idol out of a small excerpt of our story of faith, which is also highly ironic given the contents of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's like the people who want the Ten Commandments on display so badly haven't actually read them. The insistence of certain Christians on displaying the Ten Commandments is also weird given what Jesus said when he was asked to name the greatest commandment. I mean, why aren't these Christians pushing for inscriptions of Jesus' answer from Matthew 22? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. But perhaps those instructions are too clear in regards to what legislators should do about health care, public education, and civil rights. Perhaps a compromise would be to just print the opening line of today's scripture. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That really should be enough, I think. And, and we might imagine that God stopped there too, and, and maybe she did, but those who were audacious enough to try to transcri transcribe conversations with God thought their neighbors needed more specificity. But whatever the case, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, really should be enough. Why should this one line be enough? In it, God is asking the people to remember. Your life was nothing. You were nobody. You weren't citizens. You had no name. You had no address. You were strangers and aliens in a foreign land. You were enslaved. You worked and broke your back to fill the pockets of other people. You were alive, but not really living. And then the chains were broken. I want you to remember that. Remember that you are a liberated people. And I want you to remember it because when you're in a land of your own, there will be strangers who come, people who you can take advantage of because they don't know the language, they don't have a home, they don't have an education, they are without resources. Oh, you can work them for practically nothing. You can really take, no. When a stranger comes among you, remember, you were a stranger in Egypt. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There will come a time when you are no longer sleeping under the stars or even under a tent. You will have a house 
a nice warm house, and maybe everyone in that house has their own room. And then though, it will start to feel like it isn't big enough and you want more square footage and maybe one that looks grander than your neighbors. And, and you will think that you should work all the time because there is always something to chase, to collect, to consume. But I want you to remember, I want you to remember that I am the Lord your God who rested on the seventh day. So get rid of the frantic, always on the phone, always reachable by email, just a text away, forever in the car or at the office. One out of every seven days belongs to me. It is a remember I am the Lord your God day. Remember, remember, remember. We do not always want to remember especially on sunny days, we really have to work at it. It is easier to believe that we are self-made, independent, lone rangers, self-sufficient. But remember, it is also hard to want to remember some things. God is indeed asking the Israelites to remember one of the most terrible seasons of life, a season that lasted for generations. Wouldn't it be better if they'd just forgotten it, if they'd just pretend it didn't happen? No one rem wants to remember the hard stuff, but God asks us to remember. This is not the usual advice about hard times, about difficult situations. Forget it is the typical advice. Don't think about the hard things, the painful things, those things that had us bound from the outside and the inside. But God says, remember, remember. Remembering is different than staying or marinating or wallowing or rehashing or reliving something. Remembering is to be mindful of. It is to acknowledge that one has been shaped, informed, changed by something. So remember, remember, remember. It is what is so remarkable about Alcoholics Anonymous. They do not say, I used to be an alcoholic, but I've forgotten all about that. No, they say, I am an alcoholic, and use that to create a life and relationships that they didn't have before. Remember, remember, remember. And the same is true for the hard things that we couldn't forget even if we tried. Those of us who grew up in families where dysfunction broke every dish in the house, or those of us who grow up peeking from behind the couch or trying to be invisible because then there could be no abuse, or those of us whose childhood grew smaller as the list of foster homes grew longer. That grief, that lament, that anger, no one deserves it, and we work for a world where none of that exists, which is exactly why we need to remember. We remember so that we can change what happens 
next so we can stop the cycle so we will not repeat what should have never happened in the first place. Remember, remember, remember. Preacher Fred Craddock tells this story. Years ago when we were in Germany, I was holding a retreat for chaplains, army chaplains. I went over to the General Walker Hotel to get my supper and there was a young woman there singing that evening while we had our meal. She was from London, her name was Julie Rain. She sang while we ate songs of the 40s and 50s, nice songs from musicals, very nice. And then without a break or without an introduction, right in the middle of the concert, she sang Psalm 121. I lift mine eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. It, it was strange and the people were awkwardly quiet. I saw her the next day and I thanked her for the concert, but I asked her, would you tell me why Psalm 121? It didn't really seem appropriate for your concert. And she said, if you knew what my life was like on the streets of London, you'd realize that was the most appropriate song I sang. She spoke briefly about that life, that horrible life. And Fred said, wouldn't it be best just to forget it? And she said, no, no. Remember, remember, remember. Then let's go out and love the world into life. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.